crinkling all time the whole time no i'm just gonna eat like two more pretzels and i'm gonna be done i promise i'll behave and that's our intro and that's <laughs> just gonna eat two more pretzels no just the words i'll behave <laughs> just, oh, i'll shit. behave i got a pretzel on the carpet we got a 2319 <laughs> that's for s for sock <laughs> okay abc time no, I saw that thing from the from Monsters Inc. I, I may need floor time, but I don't need ABC time. <laughs> Do you know where the trash? Okay, I forgot yeah, there was. I got it. I forgot there was one out because we also have one in a drawer. Um. Okay, yeah, no, I just went to that one. That's her. Okay. All right. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what is going on? Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> it's okay. I, I don't feel the pain until like ten minutes. <laughs> it's like we're starting the podcast and all of a sudden, ow! <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, <laughs> welcome back to whatever this is. Live, <laughs> laugh, liver mortis. No, I meant like just the chaos. <laughs> but yeah, live, laugh, liver mortis. That's a perfect intro. Yeah. See, we're nailing it. We're professionals. We're really professional. All right. I stay with my finger chopsticks. Yeah. <laughs> How do I unzoom? Like, what do you zoom in on? Like my voice? <laughs> no, I'm on Google Docs. I'm trying to oh. like zoom out so I can see both. I think command and then the little dash mark. Wait, is that? Well, is that? You have a MacBook that doesn't <laughs> doesn't help me and my my poor. <laughs> I've, I thought it was from more than one, just one type of no, yeah, it's more from more than one type of computer. But wouldn't it be it would be controlled then, right? Oh, it does. Oh, that's a game changer. I didn't know you could do that. And I then you can zoom in with the plus if you just swap. Minus. Yeah, it's just control and plus minus. I didn't know that. Cool. Thanks for teaching me something about technology. I didn't know. I'm surprised I knew it. <laughs> I learned. Okay, you know how like when you need to go copy something and it's in a different format than what your format is. Do you know how you get around it? How? Con you know how it's like normally control V, right? Mm -hmm. Control shift V, paste it in your formatting. Oh. So you don't have to like go and fix it. That's very helpful. Yeah. I learned that from my job. <laughs> the one thing I did learn at my job was yeah, that I stare at four computer screens for 12 hours. I oh, know that sounds disgusting. I have two, but. There's actually a fifth one whenever I'm working radio. That's too much. Luckily, my light, my my lights are blue filter. My glasses are blue light filter. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I was gonna say that just sounds overstim like so, too many screens, you know. You can also shift it to like. Sh there's a way to shift on the screen to make it like low blue light filter. Oh, okay. It's just like nighttime mode on or on here. Yeah. The phone. The phone. All right. All right. Welcome back to Live Love Liver Mortis. Today we will be going over. It's live, laugh, liver mortis. What did I say? Live, love, liver mortis. <laughs> my bad. <laughs> live, laugh, liver mortis. Listen, there's so many L's in my brain. <laughs> yep. It is. It's been rough. Okay. Yeah. Sorry. Welcome back to live, laugh, liver mortis. I'm gonna get that like stapled to my head so I remember it. Today I will be going over cryptology. So the first chunk I'm going to be doing is going to be talking about the history of cryptology, different types of ciphers, and then we will be going into the most famous case that involves ciphering, which is Zodiac Killer, and going through that, and then how the ciphers have been figured out, how some of them haven't, some of the letters that he sent with the ciphers to the newspapers and then going over why he was never really caught and then possible suspects at the end. I think actually they I think they actually did figure it out. 
they very strongly believe. But I think it's because the person is dead now. That, yeah, that, but that they can't confirm. I was gonna say all of their suspects are dead now, so it's really hard to confirm anything. So it still is technically an unsolved case because it happened in the late sixties, right? But they do strongly believe that it is okay um, one person over another. But I'll just go over their like top four suspects that they thought at least because mm-hmm. there's like over ten really. But yeah, mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not trying to do all those people. All right, so let's start with cryptology. So, cryptography is the practice of using hidden or secret writings in order to give a message to somebody else. So the basic system of it starts with what we call a plain text message, and then it is encrypted using a coding system into what is called ciphertext. So that is where you would use your symbols or anything else, or like if you see like letters that are jumbled together that are supposed to um like deciphered the, that's your cipher text is the jumbled letters so wait i have a question yes i'm sorry it's already early no it's okay <laughs> so within the hieroglyphics be considered i was getting i was getting okay. right to that yep okay and then the receiver as long as they understand the <laughs> algorithm of how it was encrypted they can decode and decrypt it and this is mainly used to protect information so that only the people that are intended to see it and process it can do so so like you were saying with the hieroglyphics, first signs of crypto, crypt, cryptography. Cryptography. Crypto- thank you. Oh I think. God. You know, those words that end in like the graphy and like the, that they like, because you can say them different ways. Yeah. What did you say again? Cryptography. <laughs> cryptography. Yes. So dates back to 2000 BC with the use of hieroglyphics in Egypt. So that is, yeah, that's a type of cipher in a way. And it traveled through many different cultures and languages, such as Mesopotamia, Hebrew, Greece, India. It's traveled all over. There are 14 different types of ciphers, which I did not know that. I thought I there was like maybe like four or five, but there's 14. So <laughs> we're going to try. So, okay, I'll try to give examples as best as I can. I know it's a little difficult with being an audio only, but I'll, I'll try my best. Um, so a classical cipher is a cipher that's easy enough to be performed by hand. And it's usually character-based. These are also called manual ciphers. So if you've ever seen ones where it'll be like when you're in elementary school or something, they give you like a little logic puzzle to decode and they'll be like, A is really E or like, you know what I mean? They'll like tell you what they are and then you can easily decode it. I love logic puzzles. Yeah. I've been better at number ones, but my mom has always loved doing like the cryptography ones, the newspapers. Oh yeah, those are fun. Mm-hmm. But those would be like classics. They're pretty easy to use and they're not like too difficult to figure out. Like they're, um, but those are classic. Okay. And then modern is pretty much any that isn't that. So <laughs> I love definitions, but yeah. So I love words. <laughs> so that's basically what a modern is because classical, we'll talk about like what the very first modern cipher is because there was like a break between like things like the hieroglyphics where it's you can look at a hieroglyphic and kind of understand what it means without knowing the exact cipher that they were using because we can look at it and be like we can tell that based off of these symbols and based off of context clues that it might probably mean this and we didn't obviously have like the exact knowledge of what that person was thinking when they wrote it so that's kind of more classical and modern is um stepping into something a little bit more difficult. Okay. So now we have substitution, which each character of the plain text is replaced with one or more characters in the cipher text. So when we look at things like the Zodiac, how he has all those symbols, so that would be considered a substitution because those obviously don't look like letters. So, um, and then we have transposition, which characters in the plain text are rearranged to form cipher text. So instead of saying live, L-I-V-E, it would be like evil, E-V-I-L. It's flipped. Okay. Like the letters are scrambled or it's written backwards. And that is a type of ciphertext because it's not giving the intended message. I never knew that. Yeah. So you can write, um, I'll show it later, but in one of the Zodiac writings, mm-hmm. there's a part of it where he wrote it backwards. Like he took words and he write it like, he writes like, I believe the word specifically was paradise, and he starts with the E okay. and goes to the P versus <clears throat> how we would read it P to E. That just made it that much harder to solve his ciphers. Right, that's why it was complicated too, is because he was doing that, and like obviously 
you know, we didn't know that at the time. <laughs> and then there is monoalphabetic, which a it's a type of substitution cipher, which the character of the plain text is always replaced by the same character. So again, like those little logic puzzles, we know that every single time we see the letter, like if it's A turns to E, we know every time we see an A, it's really an E. Okay. So A never means anything other than E. But that's not always true with every cipher. Sometimes we can see two symbols that are the same, but they have different meanings. Which again, is why it added so many layers to Zodiac ciphers, because not all of his symbols meant the same thing. Very complex. Yes. And then polyalphabetic, which is what, <clears throat> which is what the Zodiac cipher was part of, was that it's a substitution cipher that uses multiple monoalphabetic substitution mappings. Which means that A in some contexts can mean E, but A in some contexts could mean M. And it would depend on the context clues and where it's at in the word to be able to choose what you're working with, whether it's one letter or a different letter. So, yeah, I know it's, a, it's very confusing. It's hard to explain. It's hard to picture when you're not looking at it. Yeah, it is. Um, <clears throat> and then the next one is homophonic. And that is a substitution in which one character can map out a set of characters. So that's more of looking at how the words are structured. It's using a lot of context clues and it's using a lot of everything that's around the word to try to figure it out because sometimes it's difficult to just do, you can't just go through it and try to use the other skills. It's more of um, listening and looking at context. Okay. And then polygraphic is a substitution of blocks and characters for blocks and characters. Um, which, honestly, I looked at an example of it and I was like, I'm not entirely sure. What's but, going on? <laughs> yeah. um, so I think it's like kind of one of those things where it's like you have like a sequence of specific characters. And then you can always, like, that specific characters mean this thing every single time. So every time you see this repeated specific pattern of characters, then you'll know that it means this, like, word or this phrase. Okay. So if you saw, like, square, circle, triangle, you would know, and that meant, like, hello. Then every time you would see square, circle, triangle, it would always mean hello. So that, I think, I believe that's what they were trying to say when they said that. <laughs> And then periodic is um, a type of polyalphabetic cipher in which the replacement scheme repeats. So um, that's, I think those two, I felt like the periodic and the polygraphic were very similar. Um, so like it's going to repeat. So it if, sounds like it would be so similar. Yeah, like they look similar to me. So I think that they're kind of, I could be, I'm not like obviously an expert, but like I, to me, they looked very similar when I was looking at like kind of the examples that they gave. And looking at the research. Yeah. And then non-periodic was, it, it just, it doesn't repeat in schemes. It's the opposite of periodic. Lovely. <laughs> so, <laughs> and then um, a block is a encryption that takes place not character per character, but blocks of character. So you would encrypt or decrypt the whole word, not like specific, it wouldn't, it wouldn't be um, letter for letter, basically. So um, if square was A and triangle was B, that would be like, that wouldn't be block, that'd be character for character. But, but like if square was like TH. Yes, then every time you saw a square, that would be a block, because that's a block of letters. Okay. So as long as it's more that makes than sense. One, yeah. It's easier to picture when you say shapes. Oh uh, yeah. We're, <laughs> yeah. Sorry, I was using letters because I have an example down here that's letters. That's why. And then a stream cipher is one that operates on a data stream of an unknown length, and it usually incorporates feedback. So now we're getting into modern technology where we use uh, coding and math, where we can be able to decrypt messages that are much more complex and a lot faster and so that's how a stream cipher works so you don't know how long it's going to be it's an unknown amount of characters and you would put it through a program it would give you a feedback loop. okay so that's like you said that's not something you can do by hand it's only through a computer program i mean maybe you could do it by hand but you'd be there for a very long time <laughs> like a very long time like um. lifetimes plural <laughs> yeah <laughs> and then a secret key is a cipher where the encoding key and the decoding key are the same 
or trivially derivable from one another. It requires both of the parties to meet in a secret to exchange keys that they'll be using. It's also called a symmetric key. So it's basically, if I were to write you a secret message... Like, I have to have the code to... Yeah. I have to have the key to decode it. Yeah, I would give you the algorithm so you'd know how to decode it so you could read it. But then a public key... Is a, is a scheme where um, and you would only know it so if I showed it to your fiance he would not know what it meant unless he had the key right unless like I showed him the key but like right so but he wouldn't know directly what it meant but okay. a public key would be like I give it to you and your fiance and I put the key in the middle of the table so you both can see it All and right. know what it means and th- those are called asymmetric keys so moving into modern Cryptography. Um, it was first used by Julius Caesar in the 5th to 9th century AD, and it was used to encrypt his military and official messages. That's so cool. When you think of ciphers, like what the Zodiac did, you don't really think of history just other than like hieroglyphics, possibly. But you don't think of prominent figures like Julius Caesar using that. Right, That's yeah. That's so cool. But that was like the first like official modern cipher, and he used a... I believe it was so it's a substitute it's like a substitution but it's um it's a sequential one so for example his cipher worked if we take the standardized a to z alphabet Mm -hmm. his cipher worked where d was transposed to a so everything was shifted back three letters and that's like the classic cipher that's what we call a classic cipher that was part of a puzzle in the escape room I worked at. It was, like, oh, really? similar, like, cipher almost. Oh, really? That's cool. <clears throat> yeah, it's called a classic cipher, and that was, like, the very original cipher. He also, and the reason why we look at that now and be like, oh, if he really wanted to encrypt such, like, high-end material, like, military messages and stuff like that, and he used such a simple cipher, because that's not too difficult to figure out. Especially because not everyone had the ability to read. Exactly. He that's was banking so, on the fact that most people couldn't read back then. This it's this part that makes history interesting. Yeah, it is. Like I think that's really interesting because I was reading that and I was like, wow, that's so simple to think about, only shifting three letters. But then they're like, yeah, but most people didn't know how to read. I was like, oh right. So it looks like witchcraft to them. Yeah, like they have no idea what it says. Okay. So that's that. I think that's really interesting. Um, <laughs> and then so the father of modern crib. Cryptology. We're jumping a little bit forward into 1467 Italy. Mm-hmm. So there's a cryptologist named Leon Battista Alberti, and he came up with the ability to solve crypt- cryptographs with frequency analysis. Frequency, like noise, like wavelength frequency? I, I thought that too. It's not that. It's like um, how often it shows up. That's the more simple explanation. I know. I also, my brain also said, what does this have to do with noise? Okay, continue. <laughs> no, I know. We were on the same page when I was doing this. Mm-hmm. But, okay. So, frequency analysis is the study of how often letters and long pieces of text are shown in specific languages. For example, in the English common language, the most used letter is E and the least frequent letter is Z. So, any encrypted text, we can guess the letters based on the frequency. So, if you see a lot of the same symbol, we can assume it's an E. And if we see, like, virtually none of it or one of it, we can assume that might be a Z, which is towards the... That's... I'm sorry, go ahead. No, you're fine. That sounds similar to, like, um, some of the research I did where it's, like, one of the least common frequent... Or, like, one of the least common grouping of letters in the, in the English language is, like, Q, F... I forget the other one, but mm-hmm. basically, if you see that, you're, that's a, that's like a sure tell sign that you're wrong. You're doing it wrong. Right? Yeah, and that's that's kind of how this works. And that's um, they use a lot of frequency analysis when going through. We'll get into it obviously later, but they use a lot of frequency analysis with doing the Zodiac Killer because his symbols seem so random and so like not not sequential and definitely not like symmetrical Mm -hmm. so they use a lot of frequency analysis to try to pick out a bunch of symbols that look that are the same would probably be this letter so let's try that type of thing and that's how because the first again we'll talk about it later but the first cipher that was solved was done by hand 
Yeah, I know, right? Those people are smart <laughs> beyond my comprehension. Oh, yeah, same. <laughs> All right, so then moving a little bit more forward towards modern times, in 1531, the Freemasons used a simple geometric substitution cipher where each letter was represented by lines and dots. And I'll put this up on Instagram, but if you've ever seen the one where it's like the tic-tac-toe grid, oh, yeah. and then it's like A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, and then A would be like this, and then B would be like this. Okay, so depending on like where they are in the in, in the, the tic tac toe would be what what shape it worked with. And then you added like dots since obviously you can only have nine letters. Yeah. The so then shape. the next ones have dots in it, and then it goes to the X, and then the X with the dots, and that gives you all twenty six letters. Oh wow. Yeah. So if you've ever seen something that looks like that, that was made by the Freemasons. That is so cool. Yeah, I think that that part's really cool because I've seen a lot of like puzzles before in like escape rooms and like just like escape room aficionado. I know, <laughs> and like just um just like puzzles online and stuff that yeah. use that same um system. The pizza bag. Oh, okay, yeah, we'll put elevator music here. And then now moving forward into more modern times. During World War II, Germany used the Enigma Code, which is probably one of the most notorious military codes, to encrypt their transmissions. And what happened on that side of the war was uh, the Allies kept cracking their cipher, and it would force them to have to make changes to it consistently. That's kind of funny. It's like a game of tag. <laughs> it is like a game of tag. And then towards, this was towards the end, so I believe it was like 43 or 44. Mm -hmm. But the majority of the deciphering was performed by Alan Turing and his team at Bletchley, oh my goodness, Bletchley Park. And they came up with something that's called The Bomb, but it's B-O-M-B-E. They made a movie about that. Yeah, The Imitation Game. I could not remember the word imitation. Yeah. And um, that was like the first kind of computer that was able to decipher large chunks of text quickly. And if you um, go to New York City or if you live near the New York City area, they have what is called the Spy Museum. And in the Spy Museum, they actually have a mock-up of the bomb that you can play on. I didn't know there was one in New York, but I knew that there was one in D in Washington, D.C. because I've oh, been there. Yeah, I don't think I've seen the one in D.C., but... I, I want to go again because that was years ago. Like, yeah. But like you should have seen... 12 years um, ago? The first, like... So once they figured out how to work the bomb, they made a much bigger automated version of it, right? Because that's how technology improves. Yeah. And you should see they have like a replica of the automator and you should see how huge it is. And it's so crazy that that technology is in like a 10 inch laptop now. That's crazy. I know it's crazy. <laughs> it's so weird to think about it. And that was only like <laughs> 70, 80 years ago. Like, geez. Yeah. That's, cr that's crazy to think about. We're, oh, what year? Oh, it's the twenties. I was like, what, what year are we in anymore? The roaring twenties. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's really cool. And then, so that brings us really into the modern day age of cryptology and then machinery being added behind it since before it was all done manually. Yeah. Um, so in the 1970s, IBM came up with what they call the DES, the data encryption standard. And it is a symmetric key algorithm that is used to encrypt electronic data. And that is like the gold standard now for encryption. And then other companies will like add other things on top of it, but that's pretty much the standard at this point. Okay. So everything that um, is gets encrypted, or if you work with sensitive data, it's probably uses some sort of that algorithm behind it, which is kind of cool because the 70s was like 50 years ago and to still be using something that's like kept up with that is that's really good security. I'll have to talk to my sister because she's uh, majoring in cybersecurity, so she probably knows all about that. Yeah, she probably does. But I think that stuff's pretty cool. So now we're gonna get a little bit more into the Zodiac Killer case. So we're gonna start with the events and the victims. Okay. So on December twentieth, nineteen sixty-eight. David Faraday, a 17-year-old high school student, got dressed 
slicked back his hair, and climbed into his 1960 Rambler station wagon to pick up 16-year-old Betty Lou Jensen. By the way, Betty Lou is, like, the cutest name on the planet. I love that name. It's so adorable. Um, anyway, for their first date, they went to a Christmas... Oh, my God. Words. English is hard. Yeah, English is difficult. Um, they went to a Christmas party at Vallejo Hogan High School and left around 10 p.m. They then drove 15 minutes to Lake Herman Road, the Lake Herman Road turnout, which at the time was called Lover's Lane. Little did they know that this decision would soon turn deadly. While they were parked at the turnout, there was a man that approached them in a 1959 white Chevy Impala. This man held a gun and attempted to force the couple out of the car, firing a warning shot into the vehicle. Betty Lou Jensen exited the vehicle first, followed by David Faraday. As David exited the car, he was shot at close range. Betty Lou started running away and was shot in the back five times by the assailant. These two teenagers were killed in cold blood and became known as the first victims of the Zodiac Killer. So then, very shortly after, about six, seven months later... On July 4th of 1969, Darlene Elizabeth Farron, age 22, and Michael Renault Magoo, age 19, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly, pulled into a parking lot in Blue Rock Springs Park just shortly before midnight. And Blue, I don't think I added it here. No, I didn't. Blue Rock Springs Park was about three miles away from the other um, Lake Herman. It had been about six months since the first attack. They were located... Oh, I did write it down. Oh, my goodness. They were located three miles northwest of Lake Herman. Um, they were there to watch fireworks, and as the two watched them, a car pulled up next to Darlene's car. The driver extinguished, not distinguished. I don't know what that was supposed to mean. I don't know either. <laughs> You're the author of that. Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes you just... Words don't do the thing. Um, the driver Please, don't worry. <laughs> the driver extinguished his lights and pulled out a 9mm handgun on the couple. He fired five rounds into Darlene's car, hitting both of them multiple times. Michael launched himself into the backseat to protect him from the bullets. Then after those five shots, the assailant retreated, but soon later returned to shoot each victim two more times and then calmly walked away from the scene. Um, I also forgot to mention uh, the first one for David and Betty... He used a 22 caliber rifle, and then this one he used a 9mm handgun. That so will, that's already an interesting MO that made yeah. it a little harder. Yeah, and that this will come into play um, later, so mm -hmm. remember that. I'll bring it back up. And then lastly, so the, the Zodiac has taken um, credit for, I think it was right around like 15 murders, but there are only... There were only five confirmed dead, like, victims, and then two that survived, actually. I actually have the statistics for the other part written down, because I thought it was... I always think it's so interesting how criminals will claim to have a much bigger number than mm -hmm. what's actually found. So I have it confirmed, too, like, five confirmed dead, two injured. Mm -hmm. There... I don't remember where... What article I read, but they said that there were possibly 20 to 28 total dead, and that's based on similar cases in the surrounding area right. and as far as Nevada. But the Zodiac claims to have killed 37. Okay, yeah. yeah that's a lot of people. But yeah, they do. They always, like, beef up their numbers. I don't know what they do. But, yeah, so I have the same thing where it's five confirmed and then two injured. And then I also talked about two of the most... Um, the most like highly suspected related cases like it, if if any two were also his victims it would be these ones type thing great minds think alike did you also do the same thing no but i'm just saying just about this part i have more of the tactical stuff right oh, now okay. that you've covered mostly gotcha 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 okay so that was the darlene farron and michael magoo july 4th case so then now we're going only a couple months into the future september 27th of mm -hmm. 1969 around 11 p.m. at Lake Berry, Berryessa. I don't know if I'm pronouncing that right. That sounds right. Um, Brian Hartnell and Cecilia Shepard noticed a man nearby that was acting strangely. He was hiding behind a tree and then put on a black executioner's hood and a waistline bib with a trademark that we now know as the Zodiac. So, like, that crosshairs um, symbol, the circle with, like, the big cross in it. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then clip on sunglasses. <laughs> the fact that it says clip on. Yeah, I know. That's so, that's so like quintessential Such 60s. a niche detail. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he approached this young couple with a gun and Cecilia alerted Brian by exclaiming, oh my God, he's got a gun. I mean, that's a good way to alert someone to a gun. Yeah, I mean, you know, you won't, you won't not know that he has a gun. Um, Brian offered him his wallet and his keys to the attacker, which he didn't take. He tied up the couple with plastic clothesline and began stabbing at them. He stabbed Brian first in the back six times and then stabbed Cecilia ten times and then casually walked away from the scene. It's so, like, like kind of, like, haunting that he just walks so calmly away from the whole, like, experience. Like, it didn't even bother him. Yeah, he's like, this is just, like, a Tuesday for me. Like, it's just so, like, it's very, like, spooky that, like, he did that. And again, like, change in MO, he's stabbing them again. That's a lot more personal than shooting. Yeah, and, like, um, I've never stabbed anyone. However, I do know that from what people tell me, the experts, if you will, they say that stabbing takes a lot of energy. It's, like, very hard to continuously stab somebody. Yeah, the anthropology-based book I'm reading now, the scientist that wrote it said it's incredibly hard. It takes a lot more force than you'd expect. Right, yeah. Especially to reach such a depth. Yeah, and he he stabbed them to the to the hilts of the blade. So that's a strong. Yeah, so that's um that's a big thing, and then um he stabbed them a total between the two of them sixteen times. That's a lot of stabbing. That's a yes. lot of anger. That's a lot of rage. Like it feels personal. Yeah, big time. Um, and then so after that happened a nearby fisherman heard them screaming and called the park ranger not 911 the park ranger well i don't it wasn't 911 back then but whatever no 911 came about in the 80s or 90s yeah but like the police whatever the police phone number was mm-hmm. i don't know he called the park rangers and then the park rangers called the police it took the ambulance over an hour to get to them especially if they're deep inside the park though that makes sense yeah but that's still unfortunately time yeah unfortunately and they were both in critical condition when they were found and sadly cecilia died two days later from her injuries and then on october 11th 1969 so his like cooling off period is getting much shorter yeah um very like much much shorter but on october 11th 1969 his last confirmed victim was paul lee stein um, who was a taxi driver. He was shot once in the head at point-blank range with a 9mm handgun, the same one that was used on Darlene and Michael, the second couple. Paul's wallets and keys were taken, and a large portion of his shirt was torn off. There were multiple bloody fingerprints on the cab, and a black leather glove size 7 was left behind. Three witnesses also say they saw him wipe down the car after he killed Stein. So, this one, again, is, like, interesting because not only, again, do we have a deviation from the MO, we're back to shooting, Mm -hmm. but the other ones were all shot, essentially, with him facing them. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he wasn't afraid to confront the victim. Because usually from behind is in the head, he he shot the taxi driver in the head? Yeah, from, like, the backseat. That's more execution style. Yeah, and it's more like, I don't want to face you, so I'm shooting you from back here i don't have to look at you Mm -hmm. whereas the other ones were like i'm going to shoot you point blank right here okay i'm looking at your face and that's more confrontational um of a move and then also the so he used the same gun which is consistent with the other ones but then he left evidence this time which he hadn't done previously he left Mm -hmm. behind a glove and fingerprints because he wiped down the vehicle, you, it makes you kind of wonder, like, did he do that on purpose? Yeah, like, this, it's so interesting because, like, obviously leaving DNA is um, classified as disorganized crime, but then wiping it down is organized, and then being able to commit, like, these murders on multiple people at one time is usually considered a more organized crime. Okay. But, like, he kind of just does things that, like, it'll be, like, it seems very organized, then he'll do something really chaotic where it's, like, this feels like someone who's very disorganized. And it kind of feels like it puts a foot on both sides of the door. Yeah. Um, where it's, like, really hard to kind of get a true profile of what's going on here. I'll talk about it in another case, but that sounds similar to why it was so hard to catch Richard Ramirez. Okay, yeah. And then, um... He tore the shirt off of Paul. And another thing, too, so he took Paul's wallet and keys, 
But the other couple, Brian, he offered him his wallet and keys and he didn't take it. And in none of the cases was there any sign of robbery or sexual assault. So that's not a money or a sex motivator. So that's really interesting from an evidentiary point of view because it shows that he didn't originally go there to do that. It was there strictly to be a killing. Right. But then why did it change with Paul? That's really interesting. Yeah, that's why it's so interesting. Like, that's what I'm saying. Like, it feels like it's consistent and then it gets inconsistent. Like, that's, like, I guess that's the most interesting Like, he's getting thing. disorganized at the end. Right, yeah. Like, it's kind of like a break. But he, it, his uh, kill time's also shortening. We're within less than September 27th to... Not even a month. October, yeah. Like, it's not even been a month since the other one happened. October 11th. That's, like, two weeks. So, yeah, that could be it, too. Um, all right, so let's talk about the potential victims. So the first is, oh, yeah, so these are the potential victims. These are the two most strongly potentially related cases to him. Um, he did take credit for one of them, Cherry Bates, which is the second person on this list, but um, these two are the most probable. Okay. So, on April 10th, 1962, so this is before any of the other murders. These Both of these happened before any of the other murders, which okay. is why I think they're having a hard time putting them all together. But on April 10th, 1962... Oh, one thing... Oh, sorry. I'm jumping back and forth. I know that. But another thing, too, is that Paul Lee Stein was the only one that didn't have, like, a significant other with him. I noticed that. Yeah, they're all couples and then one individual. Like, that's also very weird and not pattern. You know what I mean? doesn't fit the pattern. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, sorry. Anyway, so on April 10th, 1962, at 11.20 p.m. in Oceanside, California, 27-year-old Ray Davis was shot twice from behind with a 22 caliber rifle in his own cab. At 11.10 p.m., Davis picked up a fare at a downtown cab stand and notified his dispatcher that he was delivering a fare to a location on South Oceanside. Early the next morning, his body was found in the upscale neighborhood of St. Mallow. He was shot twice from behind, once to his back, once to his head. His body was dumped in an alley and the killer escaped with the cab and then abandoned it later. Police could not establish a motive for the murder but received a call from the killer taking credit for the shooting and warning them of future murders. The similarities of the other confirmed Zodiac killings are shooting a cab driver to death, right, with Paul Stein. Mm -hmm, and like taunting the media. Yeah. And then in wealthy neighborhoods. So this one, Oceanside's a wealthier neighborhood and then where um paul stein was located in i know he was in san francisco but i'm trying to think if i wrote down what part of san francisco uh i did not but I, it was also a wealthier section of the neighborhood so really quick that's so weird that he has a sudden break from mo and there are similar ones with that mo that show up later right which is why they think that Ray has to be connected because it is very similar. And then, like... Mm -hmm. Either that or it's it's like a copycat. Right. It's like, oh, this person got away with doing it. Maybe what? I can do it. So, it's... It's so interesting because we'll never, mm -hmm. like, really know the answer. Exactly. Um, but, yeah. And then, also, like, wealthy neighborhood makes me think that, like, either this person was poor... And, like, hated wealthy people, like, was jealous and, like, had, like, hatred towards people that had money. Um, or maybe they were, like, a previously wealthy person, fell from wealth somehow, and then now they're, like, you know, they're, like, trying to, like, scratch to get back out of there. Yeah, and we, we'll, co we'll cover, if I can talk, we will cover more <laughs> of that when we cover, um, like, forensic psychology and right. building a profile. Right. Um, okay, yes, so that was that. And then... Da, 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 da. Okay, yeah. So then afterwards, one of the... Also, the similarities you said were calling the police to take credit for the murder and notifying newspapers about these murders. Mm -hmm. um, he would also warn police and journalists of future murders or other crimes because he also talked about setting fires and planting bombs. Um, he was kind of all over the place here. Yeah, sounds like he's devolving. Yeah, and then openly stating his intent was to baffle the police making the a bus a subject of a death threat and then displaying no obvious motive for any of the murders using both 22 caliber weapon long rifle ammunition and the nine millimeter yeah handgun so it's just 
it it kind of does seem like if this is one person, it's a very disorganized individual. And if it's not, it sounds like two separate people that have two very separate motives um, that are working as one alias, which yeah. I think that would be really difficult to um, like to achieve. Yeah, and to like be um, consistent enough to make people think that you're one person. Yeah, because you still have to keep up an air. Um, and then the last potential victim is Cherry Bates. On October 30th, 1966, Cherry Bates, a recent Ramona High School graduate, was visiting the library on the campus of the Riverside City College. When she left the campus around 9.30 p.m., she noticed her Volkswagen Beetle's ignition would not start. And then we later found out that he tampered with her coils so her ignition wouldn't start. She was lured out of her car by a man that stopped and promised to help her and then was beaten and stabbed multiple times with a short-bladed knife. Jeez. Her throat, and that's interesting too, because we do have another stabbing. However, their blade was ten to twelve inches long. Her, and this was a smaller one, right? So I'm assuming I don't know the definition of a short blade, but I would think six inches or less. Okay, yeah. yeah. And then her throat was cut, and there was no evidence of robbery or sexual assault like the others. Her car was found approximately a hundred yards away from the alley, and a man's Timex watch was found at the scene. Police said they also found a military-style heel print and shoe size 8 to 10. Wow. The watch was believed to be ripped from the attacker's wrist, and the time was stopped at 1224. A.M. or P.M.? PM? Uh, I would assume it would be A.M. since she was 9.30 P.M., so then 12. That makes sense. Yeah, 1224 A.M. Um, in the 1970s, Bates was believed to be a victim of the Zodiac Killer, they um, had some, so they believed that she was for a really long time, and mm -hmm. then I believe in the 90s, they kind of started to reevaluate that, and then they disclassified her as a victim and put her as a potential victim. Um, okay. And then in 2021, retired police officers and intelligent agents reopened her case, and now they're trying to finally bring justice for her. Um, because there are, like, even her family and friends believe that she is a victim of the Zodiac Killer. So now they've reopened it and they're trying to get enough, like either circumstantial evidence or go back through the old evidence and try to see if there's anything that can link her to officially be one of his victims. Um, okay. So at least there's some closure on that part. Right, because it's been so long. Right, and she was, she was 18 years old. She was young. Oh. I mean, everybody in this case was young. So. Um, so let's talk now about the communications. So, it's interesting because he only killed, if we take into account his two potential victims, his earliest one was 1962, and his very last victim was 1969, so that is only a span of seven years. Yeah. He's been in contact with the police for 11 years at this, over his course of his communications, and then he had 23 different correspondences with newspapers, journalists, and the police. Um, I won't go through all of them. I'll talk through a couple of things that I noticed from reading some of his letters, mm -hmm. and then we'll go into the ciphers. So the very first cipher that he wrote, so he sent a couple of like random things to the police station that were like very ominous, where it was like she had to die, babies had to die, to like it's like just some weird, like very just like sinister but like what does this mean type thing yeah um to the police and those were like his first like two letters was just a notebook piece of paper that just said she had to die and that's <sighs> it it's like just bizarre in a way um and then so on july 31st of 1969 the zodiac killer sent a three-part message to the T san francisco times the san francisco chronicle and the san francisco examiner so this was called the Z480 cipher due to the fact that all three ciphers put together are 480 characters total. Or sorry, 408, not 480. I thought there was a 480 one. Maybe I mistyped it? I don't have it written down, so... Or no, it is. I do have it written down. It's 408. My bad. Yes. You were right. Yeah, okay. I was like, maybe I just got dyslexic real fast. I thought <laughs> I was for a second. <laughs> so the letter was the same, but then the ciphers were what was different. But the letter that he wrote read, Dear Editor, I am the killer of the two teenagers last Christmas at Lake Herman and the girl last 4th of July. To prove this, I shall state some facts which only I and the police know. Christmas. One 
Uh, it's like a list. So number one, brand name of ammo, Super X. Number two, 10 shots fired. Number three, boy was on his back with feet to car. Number four, girl was lying on right side of feet to west. Fourth of July. But he doesn't write fourth of July. He just writes fourth July. Mm-hmm. Number one, girl was wearing patterned pants. Number two, boy was also shot in knee. Number three, ammo was, ammo was made by Western. Here is the cipher that is part of one. The other two parts are being mailed to the Vallejo Times and San Francisco Chronicle. I want you to print the cipher on the front page by Friday afternoon, August 169. If you do not print this cipher, I will go on a kill rampage Friday night. This will last the whole weekend. I will cruise around killing people who are alone at night until sun night or until I kill a dozen people. So that was his whole, and then it was signed with the Zodiac symbol. Of course. Yes. So, okay. A couple of things about this that I noticed. Number one, he has a lot of errors grammatically. How I read it, it sounded very choppy and like not smooth and fluid Mm -hmm. like how we talk. Number two was spelling. He spells Christmas with two S's at the end. He spelled lying when he said girl was lying on right side feet to west. He spelled lying L-Y-E-I-N-G. He spelled like the chemical lie. Yeah, that's what I was thinking too, the chemical lie. He spelled front, like front page, F-R-U-N-T. He spelled um, cruise, like cruise around, C-R-U-S-E. And then he spelled until incorrectly both times. He put two L's at the end. So that makes me think that either he's uneducated because he's not very good with spelling or grammar or English isn't his first language. And San Francisco, I believe at the time, had much more of a blending of ethnicities for being okay. the 60s. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, so I'm not sure if that's true, but that's just, I guess that's how I interpreted that. Mm-hmm. And then, so, this 408 cipher was officially, like, translated. And so, I will read you each of the translations. I'll read them in, like, three parts. I'll tell you when I go into the next one because they stop in the middle of the sentence. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, Cypher 1 reads I like killing people because it is so much fun. It is more fun than killing wild game in the forest because man is the most dangerous animal of all. To kill something, Cypher 2, gives me the most thrilling experience. It is even better than getting your rocks off with a girl. The best part of it is that when I die, I will be reborn in paradise and all the Cypher 3 I have killed will become my slaves. I will not give you my name because you will try to slow down or stop my collecting of slaves from my afterlife. And then, so there's a couple things with that third Cypher. Mm -hmm. The first thing is that it ends with, the second one ends with I will be reborn in paradise and all the, and the third one starts with I have killed will become my slaves. A lot of people that interpret this believe that he meant to put lone or stray people and that that is like an implied thing, but he never explicitly says that because it just reads, and all the I have killed. So it feels like there's meant to be people in there. Um, And I don't know if he just didn't leave it. And then at the very end, there is a string of random letters that mean absolutely nothing. Um, It's just random letters. It's E B E. O-R-I-E-T-E-M-E-T-H-H-P-I-T-I. That is the very end of the third cipher, and it makes no sense. Mm-mm. It's just random letters. It do- and they try to, like, unscramble it, read it backwards, like, nothing. It doesn't make sense. It doesn't fit with anything else in that cipher. What it fits with is him, like, messing with people. Yeah, like, just, like... Just, like, fucking around and finding out type thing. Yeah. Like, it it makes no sense. And then another interesting thing, again, is that even in his cipher, he... I don't know if, again, he's choosing to spell to deliberately be confusing, or if he doesn't know how to spell words. Did you say confusing? To... I meant to say confusing. (laughs) To confuse people, or if he doesn't know how to spell. Mm -hmm. Because he misspelled forest. He put two R's in it. And then he misspelled experience. He did not put an I. He misspelled paradise. He put a C instead of an S. Okay. 
And he continues to do that through each of his ciphers where he just continues to misspell things. So again, I'm not sure if that's an intentional thing or he doesn't know how to spell. Um, so then after that, on August 4th in 1969, he called himself the Zodiac for the first time with a letter to the San Francisco Examiner and he assigned himself that official symbol of being part of his like identity. Okay. That crosshair. But he finally referred himself as the Zodiac, so then they started calling him the Zodiac. On October 13th of 1969, he finally admitted to the murder of Paul Stein. And then the next cipher didn't come until April 20th of 1970. And the letter says, it starts with, uh, it starts with like, dear police, and then there's like one line, and then it goes, my name is, and then it's ciphered letters that are unsolved to this day. There are 13 letters, or 13 symbols, Mm-hmm. to be the letters of his name and there's no indication where the first name ends and the last name begins and it's just people have not been able to figure it out and it is still an unsolved mystery like 53 years later wow yeah and then on november 8th of 1969 the san francisco chronicle received a card with a dripping pen on it and another cipher the card read this is the zodiac speaking i th- he meant to put I thought, but he put I though. You would need a good laugh before you hear the bad news. You won't get the news for a while yet. P.S. Could you print the, this new cipher in your front page? I get awfully lonely when I am ignored. So lonely I could do my capital T thing. Exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point, exclamation point. And then it says July, August, September, October equals seven. As like a string of words and then it came with a cipher included in that and then that cipher was called the z340 and that's the one that went unsolved until december 11th of 2020 and then the final cipher his fourth cipher was sent on june 26th of 1970 to the san francisco chronicle where he complained about people in the letter he complained about people not wearing his symbol on buttons because he said i'd like to see people in the town walking around with my symbol on buttons and wanted to punish them by shooting a man a random civilian and setting a bomb and the cipher at the bottom of the page he said would lead the police to where the bomb was set and he included a map where he uh it was a map of california and he put his crosshair symbol in the middle of it and police believed for a while that that was like the area where the bomb might be i think it's just kind of chaos um probably like the rest of it yeah and then but the cipher was at the bottom said where the bomb would be and that has not also been officially solved but there was also not a bomb that went off so that's why it wasn't solved (laughs) yeah so now let's get a little bit into the forensics and the new translation that's been officially accepted by the fbi so on August 8, 1969, a school teacher named Donald Jean Harden and his wife, Betty June Harden of Salinas, California, solved the 408-character cipher. They used homophonic substitution to identify the solution and spent just over 20 hours working on it. Only? So only 20 hours. 408 characters. 20 hours. That is insane. I know. That's so fast. That'd take me, like, my whole life and I still probably wouldn't get it right. <laughs> Um, so the homophonic substitution involves replacing each symbol with multiple substitute letters based on the frequency. So we talked about how E is the most frequent and Z is the most infrequent. Mm-hmm. So I was looking at his characters and seeing the frequency of the, that they appear in that context. Okay. Um, so yeah, it says here, for example, the letter A is about 8% of all the letters in the English language. So we assign eight symbols to represent it. You would repeat that for every letter based on the frequency of it in the alphabet, and then you would be able to decrypt the message running through those algorithms. Wow. But to do that by hand, because this is the 60s, -hmm. that's intense. That must have been a really intense 20 hours for them. But you know, some people are into solving, like, codes like that. Yeah. Can't relate. (laughs) Yeah, I can't relate. But, I mean, that's really cool if you know how to do that. I just... I don't have that kind of patience. I don't have the ability. (laughs) Yeah, that too. (laughs) Um, The point of offering several substitution options for more popular letters is to balance the frequency of those symbols in ciphertext. So if he uses multiple symbols multiple times, we can attest that 
like if it's a square, a triangle, and a circle, and you see those three symbols pop up a lot, since E is the most popular, we can assume that each one of those are E, and that he's using three different symbols to all mean the letter E. And that's okay. kind of how they did it. Um, this method relies on symbols appearing more than once, and then if they didn't, the cipher would not be able to be translated properly, um, which is, that's a big thing to bank on. <laughs> yeah, it is. And then, so moving into recent times, on December 11th of 2020, Dave Orinchek of the United States, Sam Blake of Australia, and I'm probably going to butcher this man's name, so I do apologize, Jarl van Eyck of Belgium, finally cracked the publicly released Z340 cipher translation. And they came to the conclusion that the cipher is both a homophonic substitution and a transpositional cipher. So it has the letters that are all jumbled up or read backwards and stuff like that. I also read that um, after they after they solved it, the FBI acknowledged that it was correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, and then they used programming software to translate the code into plain text and then had to unscramble the words manually to make the message clear because wow. they ran it through like the best. So there's a program called AZ decrypt or encrypt or something like that. And it's like the best encryption decryption software out there right now. Mm -hmm. And they ran it through that and it populated nothing. So they had to run segments of it to get the letters and then they had to manually unscramble all of that. And that's insane, but it goes to show you just how much effort went into solving it. Right. And they started this project back in 2018 and it took them two years to solve wow. it. Wow. Yeah. They wow. got, they found each other. I believe they said they found each other on a math forum and then they all like got together and worked on it like throughout the pandemic, basically, <laughs> like leading up into the pandemic. Um, tell me how your pandemic was. I cracked the Zodiac. <laughs> like, imagine. That would be crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I can't even imagine the smarts it took to do that. Oh, I know. I, I couldn't even. Especially since I said the word smarts. <laughs> um, Oopsie. <laughs> and then, so, they... Okay, so this is what the message reads from that. Mm -hmm. I hope you are having lots of fun in trying to catch me. That wasn't me on the TV show, which brings up a point about me. I am not afraid of the gas chamber because it will send me to paradise all the sooner because I now have enough slaves to work for me where everyone else has nothing when they reach paradise. So they are afraid of death. I am not afraid because I know that my new life will be an easy one in paradise. Death. Like, did he sign it, death? No, he just wrote death twice. And some people believe that he made the mistake and... Ow. <laughs> Careful! <laughs> um, some people believe that he, like, wrote it twice because death was supposed to... Because the line above says they are... Uh, so they are afraid of death. And some people believe that he put the word at the end so you would know you have to start it up at the beginning as, like, a transpositional thing. But then he accidentally wrote it twice because he might have forgotten where he was in the letter. Okay. So some people, because it doesn't make sense to have death at the end. Mm -mm. It really doesn't. And he didn't sign it death. He signed it with his normal crosshair. That's thing. why I was confused. Yeah. No, it's just like, he just put it there randomly. I have no idea why. Nobody really knows why. But a lot of people are basically saying that he, like from this, he's, he believes that when he dies... He will have these people that he killed in paradise with him that will be subservient to him and that he is not afraid of death because of it. He's not afraid of being caught. That is a terrifying person right there. Yeah, that is really terrifying. Um, I don't know what he's talking about on the TV show part. I have no idea. But And it's weird that he chose the words gas chamber. Where, did they use gas chamber? I really don't know. Okay, I'm not familiar on capital punishment back in that time. I'm not either. So, um, yeah, let us know if you know. But he said gas chamber, and that's a very antiquated way of killing people. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. punishment. So, um, I find it interesting that he used that word choice. Um, and again, he misspelled the paradise with an ending in I-C-E instead of I-S-E. Of course. 
And then, so the last two ciphers have not been officially translated because they're really short. They're only 13 and 32 characters long. And the reason why the other two have been successfully translated is because they're so long, it gives more context to be able to cipher it out. Yeah, like I've read something that said if it's shorter than 100 characters, you're going to have an incredibly hard time figuring it out. But if you have more than 100 characters then it gives you enough frequency to help you solve it like right. that. Right, and it's kind of like context clues in a way, yeah. So that's true. That's like um, with the – there's been a lot of people that have tried to crack his name specifically, mm -hmm. and they have come up with hundreds of possibilities of who it could be. That, And then they, like, you know, they whittle it down based on people who lived in the area at the time, people who fit the profile, like, stuff like that. Yeah. And they still came up with, like, 20-something names. But that's not a – you know what I mean? That's too much of a broad list to go on. You can't just go around arresting that many people. Yeah, and especially not. I think that was cracked in like the nineties. So like, you know what I mean? They're probably so much later dead. after. Yeah, most of the suspects that they have died in the eighties and nineties. So in the early two thousands. So there's not too much that you can do to work off of that. Um, and then why he was never caught. So the Zodiac Killer is still technically considered an unsolved case, largely due to the lack of forensic evidence at the time of the crimes, and then the, the varying descriptions from the survivors and witnesses, and then also the uh, kind of confusing nature of his crimes in general. It doesn't really seem like it fits a, a very complete profile of him. Um, so one of the biggest mess ups in this case from the police side of it is in Polly Stein's case, there were three witnesses. Oh, yep. I've, I've heard of this. Yes. There were three witnesses that saw it happen and they called into the police. They described the killer as a white male between the ages of 25 and 30, 5'8 to 5'9, a stocky build with reddish brown hair and heavy rimmed glasses and dark a ginger. clothing. A ginger. Saved. <laughs> um, I saved my snack. <laughs> unfortunately, in this case, the police dispatcher described the suspect as being black instead of white. So when patrol officers went to the scene, they passed a white man that was walking on the sidewalk leaving the crime scene. But they were looking for a black man based off of what dispatch said. So they didn't stop to question that man. And they believe now that that man that they passed was the Zodiac Killer. You would think that they would at least stop and ask him if he saw where the guy went. Uh, yeah, they didn't, though. But they, they ignored him. Yeah, but they made enough of a mental note that when they talked about it later and realized the mistake, they, they like, said, oh, oh, yeah, he actually did match the description except the fact that he wasn't black. Like they had been told. So, like, that's so frustrating right like it you could was, have been solved right there yeah then. you were so close <laughs> um so that's like the biggest reasons why it hasn't been solved and then so let's go through the possible suspects real quickly um so the first is richard gaikowski um so in the 1960s and 70s gaikowski was a writer for the san francisco good times which was an anti-police and pro-violence counterculture newspaper is that kind of like a militia almost I think so, but I'm not sure if it was like, I'm not entirely sure if it was related to that, but they were definitely like, we should go out and riot and burn everything down and like just cause anarchy for anarchy's Chaos. sake. Yeah. Um, Richard shortened his last name to Gaik, G-A-I-K, and the phrase G-Y-K-E was found in multiple times in the Zodiac Killer's three-part cipher on January, July 31st. That's weird. That potentially outlined his last name. And we know from the fact that the Zodiac Killer kind of misspells things. He spells them very phonetically, like paradise. Yeah, paradise yeah. makes an S sound, but it's spelled with a C. But Gyke would be spelled G-Y-K-E phonetically. Um, so that's part of why they might have thought it was the him. The next is probably the most popular, Arthur Lee Allen. He was served, I have heard the name. Yes, he was served a search warrant as a suspect, first linked to the Zodiac Killer on October 30th of 1966. And he was alleged to be in Riverside when um, Cherry Bates was murdered. Um, okay. In November of 1966, two anonymous typewriter Bates murder confession letters were sent to the local police. So when the Zodiac Killer confessed to Cherry Bates' murder, or supposedly the Zodiac Killer... Supposedly. <laughs> ...confessed to it, it was sent on very specific paper from a very specific typewriter model. 
and Arthur Lee Allen had the same typewriter model and the same paper in his house when they did the search warrant. Okay. Richard Marshall was brief, briefly lived in Riverside in the mid-60s and then moved to San Francisco Bay Area. I don't think this is damning evidence, but they kind of took it in as something. But it said he liked old movies like The Red Phantom, which the Zodiac had cited in one of his letters. Didn't he, didn't he also cite The Exorcist? Yeah, he did. And um, okay. he owned the same type of typewriter as the Zodiac Killer, felt-tip pens, and odd-sized paper. I don't know what odd-sized paper means, but I'm really... I have no clue. I want to know what an odd-sized piece of paper looks like. Cause yeah. I have no idea. And then, um, lastly, was Lawrence Kane. He had a lengthy criminal record in the 40s and 50s and was, um, and was active back in the community at the height of the Zodiac killings. And then Kane's name is alleged to be embedded in one of his ciphers. Again, we can't Alleged. Really, alleged. We can't really prove it. I feel like he's, he's like the oldest one because if people are describing this man as being between 25 and 30, if he had a criminal record in the 40s and 50s, by the 60s, he would have been in his 30, late 30s or 40s, which doesn't, doesn't really, really fit, fit the age. I know age can be sometimes hard to predict. That's why it's such a large age range when it is predicted. Right. So I feel like he's like just kind of out of that. But um, yeah, so that is cryptology and the Zodiac Killer. I learned a lot about <laughs> history. <laughs> yeah, the history of it was really interesting. I didn't know that it was so complex. I didn't either, especially because you think about it now and how it's a lot of computer solved and math based. Right, yeah. But um, if any of you are interested in to look more in, into the code and more into the mathematics side of it, if you go to um, wolfram.com, um, if you Google like uh, the Z340 Wolfram, wolfram.com has a really good article that goes into the actual code and into the mathematics of how they actually Can you maybe it. spell it? Um, W-O-L-F-R-A-M. It's a math company. I used to, um, I used to use, they have a computer AI called Wolfram Alpha and it does like complex math. So when I would have to do complex math, it would like, it. The computer does it, it tells you the answer, and then it shows you how it did it. So it was really helpful. I love that. Yeah, I was really helpful when I was doing like higher level math and I couldn't like Ew, math. Google it. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, but. Um, I wish I knew that. Math? No, the website! <laughs> oh. <laughs> no, that website to solve it when I was taking my math classes. Oh, okay, yeah. I <laughs> just math in general. <laughs> I mean, it's a good thing to know, too. <laughs> but, all right. So um, if you want to check um, out the actual ciphers, what they look like, and then some of the old um, Freemason ciphers, I'll also post the classic Caesar one as well. Uh, check us out on Instagram at live, laugh, liver, mortis. I you said it correctly love. this time. I know. Time. I won't say love. I promise I know what our brand is. <laughs> you sure about that? I don't know. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, come back next week for another wonderful episode of Live, Laugh, Liver Mortis. Mortis.